Driving around the valley, you'll notice some scenery that is special to Phoenix. Not surroundings that are necessarily only in Phoenix, but an environment that makes this city remarkable. From the various types of cacti and encompassing desert mountains, to relics of our history and dedications to the cultures that thrive here, one individual in particular gravitated toward the valley and in essence made it a second home for his vision. This person was Frank Lloyd Wright. Phoenix isn't the only city that attracted him, mind you. Wright built in Los Angeles, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and more. I mean, the Guggenheim in New York is a Frank Lloyd Wright building. But what Wright did here was very specific and was a tribute to our Western backdrop. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com about Metro Phoenix and beyond. I'm producer Amanda Luberto, and today I'll plot out a treasure map of architectural gems in our own backyard by the genius himself. Recently, a listener submitted this question. Gamage was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, but there are more in Phoenix and the state, right? Which really caught my attention. While our listener is correct, Gamage was designed by Wright, it probably isn't the most famous of his buildings in Arizona. To find out more, I went straight to the source. My name is Stuart Graff. I'm the president and CEO of the Frank Lloyd Wright Foundation at Taliesin West. Stuart walked me into a little study room on the grounds of Taliesin West to chat. The entire space looks like an art piece, and in a way, it technically is. Even this little building off to the side. Taliesin West is nestled in the mountains of North Scottsdale and is Wright's most flagrant homage to the desert. It is the sister location to his studio in Wisconsin, the original Taliesin, and was also used as an architectural school for his disciples. This is where all the other work was being designed. So this is sort of the mothership for all kinds of mid-century design from Wright and from other architects that he was training here on the Taliesin West campus. Taliesin West was designed to be a part of the landscape. To Wright, the landscape was the beauty to fill the house with. So people say, well, there aren't a lot of paintings, there aren't a lot of other things out there. Well, when you have that, that's a whole lot better than any painting. And Wright knew it. When people visit Taliesin West, Stuart wants to be sure people understand this experience. So he moves them around the room a little bit so they can really soak it in. One of the things you get to do if you come up here is you're going to get to sit on the furniture in Wright's living room. And what I love, everybody wants to choose the, the origami chairs because they haven't seen chairs that look like that before. And they look like they're going to be really uncomfortable and then everybody's surprised because they're really comfortable. But I always put people on a set of built-ins, um, and you sit down on those built-ins. You're facing east, and when you're facing east, you see the cinder cones, and you see the other, the other mountains down near Fountain Hills, and you get this stunning view of Black Mountain, Red Mountain, and the Superstition Mountains. And that room is really designed to be used in the late afternoon and winter, because this was a winter camp. So you get that beautiful sort of golden winter light coming at these three mountains horizontally, and it takes your breath away. Sometimes he says, 
This can lead to people looking at their own homes differently. So I was given um, a group of women a private tour, and this one woman said to me after we were, we were finished with the tour, she said, I loved your tour, but my husband is going to hate you. I said, why is your husband going to hate me? I haven't met him. She said, well, we just built this house in Paradise Valley, and so we've got everything set up the way we did in Minnesota, where we've got the furniture facing the fireplace, and it's all set up the same way we did in Minnesota. Even though we've got this wonderful floor-to-ceiling windows that take into account the mountains and everything else, we're looking at the fireplace, and you just told me all the reasons why we need to be looking out the window. She goes on to say that they're going to have to buy all new furniture and probably hire a new decorator in order to make this happen. Maybe six or seven weeks later, she said to me, she calls me up and she said, so I want to come up and I want to bring my husband up. And I said, okay, do I have to wear Kevlar or something for this? And she said, no, 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 this is, this is um, going to be good. So they come up and he said to me, I hated you at first because I really liked our house. But we rearranged the furniture and we bought some new pieces and we did some things differently. And we're watching the sunset every night and we're talking to each other instead of looking at a TV. That changed our lives. And I said, well, that's what Frank Lloyd Wright will do. Wright's inspiration was about taking the nature around him and involving it in the buildings. As Stewart told me, because of this, the buildings in Arizona just wouldn't make sense in Wisconsin and vice versa, even though they were both designed by him. As we were talking, a scurry of chipmunks dashed across the window at eye level, further proving the point that Wright built into nature. Not only did our desert inspire him in design, but also in structure. Let's go back a little bit. In 1914, Wright suffers an unspeakable tragedy when a worker sets fire to the original Taliesin and murders some of the people in the estate. Chief among them is Wright's mistress and her two children. But this isn't a true crime podcast about Wisconsin, so that is a story for another time. He then leaves to go to Japan before moving to the west coast of the United States. After moving to Los Angeles, he started experimenting with textile block houses. Around this same time, they start showing up in Phoenix, too, when his associate, Albert Chase MacArthur, is asked to build the Biltmore Resort. I feel like this is a common misconception that Stewart corrected me on. The Arizona Biltmore is not a Frank Lloyd Wright building, even though he did help. But like many other noteworthy mid-century modern locations in the valley, was actually built by his peer. So the textile blocks are patterned concrete blocks. One of the things he loves about concrete is that it simultaneously provides strength, and we all know concrete block architecture, uh, we have it all over the valley, but at the same time, it has a quality that architects call plasticity, the ability to mold it and shape it. So you can do these two things at once. So the textile block architecture is a way of stacking the blocks, one on top of the other, using patterns both within individual blocks and collectively to create a visual effect. But the reason he calls it textile is that instead of um, just mortaring all these blocks in place, they're actually connected by a set of steel um, rods that run from block to block to block. So they're knitted together and the blocks are sort of inserted in this grid created by the steel. 
You'll recognize the pattern textile block all around the outside of the Arizona Biltmore when you visit. The design is now commonly referred to as Biltmore blocks. So when Wright comes out here to work on that, he actually settles into a camp that he calls Akatia down in Chandler. And so Wright starts to develop this intimacy with the desert because he's camping out here. He's looking at the plants, he's looking at inspiration, he's learning about them. He starts to design a resort called San Marcos in the Desert for Dr. Chandler of Chandler fame. The city of Chandler, that is. This is the genesis of Wright's connection with the Sonoran Desert. Because he learns very quickly that one of the ways the saguaro survives is that it is constantly shading itself and creating these little super microclimates around the needles and that all the desert plants, they use fine filaments, needles, other things, to provide shade, to provide um, relief from the sun, to limit evaporation um, and aspiration to certain times of the day and the night, and that's how they survive. So he's looking at this and saying, how do we use this in the building? By the time he comes out here to build Taliesin West in 1938, he spent quite a bit of time driving through the desert and in the desert. And the set of principles that he learned on the hillside, principles that are derived from nature, apply here because we're in a natural setting. So he can use the exact same set of principles, but get a different result in terms of what the buildings look like because there's a different landscape. We are going to take a short break. Hello, Valley 101 listeners. Do you have questions about Phoenix or our state? Maybe you're new to the Valley and want a better understanding of why things are the way they are here. We want to hear from you. Submit your questions to valley101 at azcentral.com. And don't forget to download the AZ Central app and stay up to date on all the news in our state. Now back to the episode. Okay, so at this point, Wright is in Phoenix, and he builds Taliesin West. In addition to being his studio, it also serves as a renowned architecture school where people can learn from him firsthand. He continues to design and develop buildings in the valley as it grows. Our listener knew that the Grady Gamage Memorial Auditorium, better known as ASU Gamage, was a Wright piece. But it wasn't originally supposed to be there. I asked Stuart to elaborate. It was going to be an opera house that was part of a cultural development for Baghdad in the 1950s. And then there was a little thing called a revolution that took place in Baghdad in the mid-1950s. And so that plan got scuttled, but Grady Gamage and Frank Lloyd Wright were friends. And uh, Grady said, I'd love for you to design a new auditorium for us. And Wright had just the plan. So he pulled this out of the back pocket, made some modifications. And the building was actually not constructed before Wright died, nor before Gamage died. Both were gone by the time construction started in 62, and I think it was completed in 64 and opened in 64. So what you see in Gamage Auditorium is bits and pieces of Wright's original plan for Baghdad, some adaptations that Wright created to do it locally. And then you see the work of Taliesin Architects, the firm that stuck around here at Taliesin West after Wright passed away in 59. The building is used as a performance hall on the main Arizona State campus in Tempe and is actually one of my favorite buildings in Arizona. 
Not only is it beautiful, but it holds a lot of sentimental value to me. Another famous structure that Wright did was the first Christian church on 7th Avenue in Glendale. It was commissioned in the late 1940s. If you know Wright's work and if you've been to Talias West, you're going to know it the moment you drive past because it's a big desert masonry structure, just like Talias and West. And so that building um, was designed for a seminary, and before it could be built, the seminary ran out of money. Uh, it, it shut down. But the church um, had the plans, and they asked Talias and architects to come back and complete the plans and do the construction. So I think that was the early 1970s that that building was built. And it's pretty faithful to Wright's original plan, some modifications because, of course, building codes had changed and other requirements has changed, but it's pretty faithful to Frank Lloyd Wright's plans. Now, not only did Wright design these public buildings for museums, churches, and auditoriums, but he also was an architect that you could just hire to design your house. That is how we got the Harold Price Senior House in the heart of Paradise Valley. It starts, though, in Oklahoma. Harold Price owned a company that made equipment for the oil industry in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. In Bartlesville, he wanted Frank Lloyd Wright to build him an office building. And if I'm getting this right, he wanted a four-story building, and Wright suggested a 12-story building, so they settled on a 17-story building. Um, And that's Wright's only executed skyscraper down there called Price Tower. Wright ends up building the Price Tower and two other buildings for this family. One for the father, the Harold Price Senior House, and one for the son, called Hillside, back in Oklahoma. The Harold Price Senior House is sort of the epitome of the modern desert home. It has these long flowing lines that even though you're in the middle of Paradise Valley and you've got the mountains all around, and it's up on a a little bit of a hillock there, it hugs the earth pretty closely. It's executed in concrete blocks, so it has sort of that feel of um, the desert with just sort of raw structure. And it's got these beautiful, beautiful panels that enclose an open terrace that were designed by one of Wright's apprentices, a guy named Gene Maslink, and it's some of the most beautiful graphic design that you'll ever see. So Wright and Price have this history together. But this isn't the only house that Wright built out here, which begs the question, how do you get architect legend Frank Lloyd Wright to design your home? You know, it really wasn't that hard. You wrote a letter. I mean, I guess it's good to have connections. David and Gladys Wright House is another known structure. Built for his son and daughter-in-law, the house is seated at the base of Camelback Mountain in Arcadia. It's this beautiful spiral ramp and the sort of extended circular geometry. The people that are that own it now are doing a, just an amazing job restoring it to its glory. And, um, you know, what a fascinating piece of architecture. If you've not seen it, it almost looks like a nautilus shell from above. It's an experiment. You're basically living in the air, and you need this ramp to get up to where you live. But what a beautiful way to catch the desert breezes, to be able, if you're living in the middle of an orange grove, which David Wright was living in the middle of an orange grove in Arcadia, to rise above and be able out your bedroom window. In one direction, you've got the Papago Buttes, and in the other direction, you've got the head of the camel. And just in case you weren't sure about that, there are these brass rods that have been put in at ground level that show you 
the views on that axis. So just in case you weren't getting it, he's telling you, because he is a little bit of a control freak, he's telling you, I designed this so you'll see these things and you'll enjoy this beauty every day of your life. David and Gladys lived in the house until they passed away, both over the age of 100. After this, the residence sort of fell into ruin, but it was saved from demolition by the current owners. Earlier this year, in 2022, it was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. This doesn't necessarily protect it from ever being torn down, but it does mean that they may qualify for tax incentives to help preserve it. Famously, Frank Lloyd Wright designed a version of the Arizona State Capitol, but he ultimately was not chosen. I'm not going to get into that story here, but to find out more about it, be sure to check out a 2019 episode of Valley 101, where producer Katie O'Connell dives into the whole history. There is a piece of art in Scottsdale that is commemorative of the design he presented for the Capitol building. There's a spire um, that was built in around 2000 uh, by Talias and Architect as part of the promenade development at that corner. And that spire was going to be one of multiple spires that would have existed on the roof of this capital to call attention to the breathtaking landscapes that we have here. The aqua blue spire at the corner of Scottsdale Road and Frank Lloyd Wright Boulevard is something you cannot miss. It's 125 feet tall, is made of glass and steel, and at night lights up like a beacon. Even after he passed in 1959, Wright's apprentices continued his vision for the mid-century modern mecca that Phoenix would become. A prominent building on 44th Street in Camelback that is now a Chase Bank was built by a student of his. Many houses designed by Blaine Drake can be found throughout Arcadia. And even architects that weren't one of his 1,100 students over the years were still inspired by the foundations he laid here. This is most apparent in the Haverhoods of Phoenix. These ranch-style homes designed by Ralph Haver are easily mistaken for a right mentee creation. It's easy to dwell on Wright's genius as an architect, a draftsman, an artist, and a designer. But Stewart says this isn't only where his brilliance lived. He was a voracious reader. He was a voracious observer, whether it was art, music, the natural setting. He studied life at this sort of close-in level. He was down on the ground looking at how plants grow. And then he was looking at entire cities and thinking how they grow and how they work. And he had this ability to assimilate all this information and to synthesize it and spit it back out, whether it was in the design of a building or a plan for a city. He had this capacity to think really big, even if he was executing very small. Hopefully when you're driving around the valley now, you'll be able to spot some artistic mastery sprinkled around our magnificent desert. Listeners, I do want to say that while the houses designed by Wright 
are pieces of art, they are not open to visit. Stuart reminded me that you can't just knock on the door expecting a tour. But sometimes they'll open their houses to the public, so keep an eye out for those opportunities. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Valley 101. Do you have photos of Frank Lloyd Wright places that you've visited? Share them with us on Twitter at AZC Podcasts. If you have questions about Metro Phoenix, please submit them to our podcast by visiting valley101.azcentral.com. If you're a fan of the show, please share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm producer Amanda Luberto. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next week.